Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome back to the Believe in NC State podcast. I'm your host, David Thompson. And before we get things going today, I just want to thank everybody for listening to our first episode. The interview with NC State wide receiver Porter Rooks was really well received, and I appreciate all the listens, all the downloads, and everyone who made it such a successful first podcast. I really just want to say how much I appreciate you. And to reward you for your listens, I bring you today two interviews, not just one. First, we're going to start with preseason all-ACC linebacker Peyton Wilson, a guy we have not heard from much since his season-ending injury against Mississippi State. We do a great check-in, not only with how he's dealing with the rehab physically and emotionally, but his future with the Wolfpack, uh, as well as the way he sees this program shaking out and the rest of the season shaking out, and of course, Saturday's game against Wake Forest. And then after that, We've got a great interview with Winston-Salem Journal beat writer Ethan Joyce, and we break down Saturday's epic Wake Forest versus NC State football game, a de facto ACC Atlantic title game. And for the first time since 1992, these two teams meet nationally ranked with so much on the line. And we break down this game in every aspect. It's a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So now we're going to start you off with Peyton Wilson. And just a quick note from the editor here, during the Peyton Wilson conversation, we faded in and out of internet connection a couple times, so you may notice a couple little editing snafus, but for the most part, it's going to be great, so I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to go directly to me and Ethan Joyce's conversation, you can fast forward about 35 minutes. All right, I'm here with NC State linebacker Peyton Wilson. Peyton, how are you doing, man? Doing good. Thanks for having me on the call. Yeah, man, of course, of course. So it's been obviously a, a while since we talked, and you know, I want to get into everything that's been going on with you. Uh, but before we do that, can you just kind of, you know, obviously you're in the locker room where you're with the guys. Like, where's the excitement level going into this game against Wake Forest this week? Yeah, you know, it's exciting for everyone. Everybody knows what this game means, you know, but we always take it one game at a time. But the game finally arrived. It, you know, really means a lot. And the the energy in the building is awesome. You know, everybody is, you know, locked in this week. I mean, we're always locked in, but 
you know, there's a little more to this week than the last few weeks that we've played. You know, every game's meant a lot, but this game really means a lot, you know, trying to make it to Charlotte. And, you know, the guys are really prepping really hard and trying to learn everything they can about Wake Forest. And they today they had a good practice, and I'm excited to see what they can do Saturday. I mean, yeah, obviously you have such a inside perspective of what's going on. I mean, are you surprised with how well this defense is playing despite, you know, losing you and Isaiah and, and, and losing so many, you know, vocal guys on the defense? No, I'm not because I think Coach Gibson does a really good job of like in the offseason and, you know, preseason leading up to the season, making sure that everybody understands that. And no matter what point during the season, you could be the guy that's playing, whether you're first, second, or third string. And, you know, when someone goes down on our defense, we always have someone that's willing to step up, that's not scared, and they're always going to know what they're doing because Coach Gibson and all the defensive coaches really take their time and make sure that everybody knows what they're doing. And we practice really hard, and we watch film all the time. And, you know, there's nothing that they can do other than go out there and play their hardest and play their best. So, no, I'm not really surprised with how good everybody's playing. Right. And I mean, I've just been super impressed because it's the the mentality of the team to lose that, you know, to lose guys like you and and to still just keep coming back. I mean, I know that's just got to be tough for everyone every week that you lose a guy, but it's like it almost feels like you guys have even gotten tighter throughout the season. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you lose a guy, it's definitely tough because everyone feels for, you know, what that person is going through. And, you know, that's one thing I can say about the team. You know, when I got injured, I really felt everyone's love around me and, you know, just making sure that I was doing okay and that I was getting through my surgery and everything well. And, you know, it's just really important to have people around you like that. And, you know, I'm not really shocked that, you know, the team is, it seems like we've grown closer. I think it's because everyone wants to play so hard for the guys that can't play anymore. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I don't want to, I want to kind of get into to some of the stuff with your injury, but since you are his roommate, I wanted to ask a little bit about Devin Leary because just because that's been the huge topic of conversation. And I think, you know, guys in my position in the media, we get way too excited about like these awards and all that. And there's this whole thing going on this week where he wasn't, you know, included on this Davey O'Brien semifinal list. Do you feel like Devin's just not getting appreciated for his play this year? And, and I mean, is that something, you know, you know, the guy intimately, is that something he's focused on? Nah, he's it's definitely not something he's focused on. You know, all Devin really cares about is winning, you know, whether he has 400 passing yards and four touchdowns or 50 passing yards and one touchdown and we win the game. But, you know, his mentality, look at the game is we got to win every game and I'm going to do everything I can. I mean, like I said in the beginning of the year and all the interviews that I had, I think he's the best quarterback in the nation, and he definitely does not get the recognition that he deserves. I mean, there's not many quarterbacks that have thrown for how many touchdowns and only two or three picks. Yeah. You know, and the consistency that he brings every week. And, you know, I mean, the awards, it doesn't really go into the awards, but the leadership that he brings to the team and the, how calm he is and how collective he is throughout the game really shows. And I do think that people overlook him a lot because I still think that he's the best quarterback in the country. Yeah, I wonder if you think just – it sounds like you do think he's a little underappreciated. And, and I, and I kind of do too – and obviously, you know, I, I watch all of his games. So I feel like I, I see him more than any other quarterback, but it, sometimes I don't quite understand what other people aren't seeing with what he does. And I'll say this, I was really disappointed last game when he had the, the interception 
at halftime, just because I know that it wasn't like a, a forced thing. You know, it was, it was like a, it was a hail Mary attempt. And I was like, no, I didn't want that streak to end. You know, I was, it was kind of disappointing, but. Uh Oh, I still got you Peyton. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I, I got you. I lost you there for a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I kind of heard the end of what you're saying about the Hail Mary. That's when you came back on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was just saying personally, I was like disappointed that, that, that streak, yeah. that streak ended on, on that note, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, like for me, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing this season. So I kind of like, you know, when I'm watching the game, I kind of watch the, the game, the game as a fan, you know, and it's just like, you know, when I watch Devin play and I watch him practice every week, I don't think that there's anyone that's more consistent to him that brings the same exact thing to the table every game. You know, you know how he's going to play, you know how he's going to perform, you know how hard he's going to try to win the game. Mm. And, you know, I do think he's overlooked and that might just be because of, you know, how it goes, not being in the SEC or not being in a top five team. But I don't I think if he was on any team in the nation, he would be the best quarterback in the nation. Fair enough. That's well said. Um, so let's kind of let's uh, take me back to Mississippi State. Um, what what happened? And you know, from what happened with your injury, what, you know, take me to the play and and kind of just take me through what's been going on the last couple of months with you. Yeah, so uh, we're playing Mississippi State second game of the season, and uh, quarterback throws a little flat route to the running back, and I just go make a routine, you know, open field tackle, get him down. But when I tried to get back up, I couldn't really get up because my arm was out of place again. So mm-hmm. I ended up, my shoulder ended up being out of place. So I ended up having to fly down to Florida and uh, get Dr. Andrews, who is a really good doctor down there to do my surgery. And then this past Tuesday was seven weeks out and I just started really being able to get into a lot of rehab. It was slow at first, but I've been able to get into a lot of rehab and you know, I'm just excited for these next few weeks to be able to keep going with the rehab. So it was, so what was the the diagnosis, I guess, with the, with the shoulder? Yeah. So what they ended up having to do is called a Bristow procedure. And so I knocked a little bit of bone off around my joint and they just kind of had to replace it and put it back. And I just had to let it heal. I mean, I know you've had shoulder issues <laughs> for a while now. I mean, was it when that happened where you were like, Oh God, not again. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, you know, devastating, you know, with the year that I was, I mean, the goals that I had set for myself for this year, you know, it was more devastating mentally than it was physically. Cause I mean, injuries can only do so much, you know, you get them fixed and then you're back, but you know, mentally this injury was just a little tougher with the position I was in and the year that I was hoping to have, you know, but you know, God doesn't make any mistakes and he knows what he's doing and I just trust him. And, you know, now the only thing I can do is just be where my feet are. And the only thing I'm able to do right now is rehab and take care of my academics. So, I mean, when your shoulders start to go, like, is there, I mean, besides wearing like bubble wrap on them is, I mean, what, there's nothing you can really do. Right. No, I mean, just get them like for me, I just got it fixed and I got to get it strengthened back up. And then, you know, once it's strengthened back up, it's as good as new, you know, it's just kind of all been freak accidents. And mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, it's tough mentally, but, you know, it's just something that I have to deal with and I have to keep going if I want to keep playing football. So, well, and and I know that's such a mentality of the team is next man up. But, you know, 
then it's kind of like we forget about the guy who's now going through the injury. And so I am curious how mentally you've kind of, I know you've dealt with injuries before, but like you said, you were set up for this incredible season, preseason, all ACC, all that, you know, one of the best guys in the nation, you know, how do you sort of mentally wrestle with knowing that this season's over and and you kind of have to start that process over? Yeah, I think for me, the one thing that's really kept me, you know, mentally here is just something as simple as being where my feet are at. You know, we hear it all the time in the building. And, you know, when you really think about it, just being where your feet are at and accomplishing what I can accomplish today is kind of like, you know, what's really kept me here. Because when I first got injured, I started looking into the future, like, oh, when I get back this, when I can be able to do this, you know. But then I just stopped thinking about that. You know, I thought about what I can do today and I'm not going to look any more forward because if I do, then that's when, you know, mentally I get a little screwed up and it's just, you know, it's harder to deal with. So for me, it's just stay where your feet are at and do what you can do that one day. So you have surgery September 21st and you've now been rehabbing for seven weeks, you said? Yeah, this past yesterday was seven weeks since Uh surgery. Happy anniversary. Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah. Um, did you celebrate in any way? I guess yeah. it's not really a celebration thing. Yeah, celebrated by doing a little more rehab. Yeah. <laughs> so how long, what, like, how much longer is the rehab till you're 100%? Um, so it's a six-month recovery, so somewhere around March. And, yeah, somewhere around March, I should be 100% to go. I'm thinking about, like, December, I'll be able to get back into – get back into like lifting heavy and running really hard. But right now it's just, you know, focused on being really careful with my shoulder and make sure that we take the time that we need for it to rehab and to heal properly. Mm. So kind of take me through like a day of like, what, what are you able to do right now? So when I go into the uh, rehab facility in the morning in the training room, first off, I start off with stretching. I got to stretch my arm to get my mobility back because you lose all your mobility when you have surgery. And then, you know, I just go through like a a list of exercises that just strengthen my, like all different parts of my arm. So I lost most muscle in my arm just because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do anything for six weeks. So I go, I do anything from shoulders to bicep to forearms to hand grips, everything on that left side that can really strengthen me. But we still have to keep it light with the weights and keep it down on the reps just because it's such a long process and Mm -hmm. you don't really want to rush and it needs to heal properly. Okay. You know, what, what role can you now play since you can't obviously be on the field? What's the role that you can play for this team? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, people ask me that a lot and, you know, I think at first it's really hard to even have a role, you know, when you first get injured, just because, you know, you're going through so much. And for those first two weeks, you know, you're having surgery, you're coming off of anesthesia, you know, you're struggling for about a week. But, you know, once I got my feet back under me and I was able to, you know, when I was able to get around people and people weren't always just like worried about how I was doing, you know, like when you were able to actually have normal conversations with people that weren't only about my shoulder, you know, I think the role the best role that I can have is just helping the linebackers and the defense in any way possible. You know, whether that's somebody that plays the position that I played, they want to watch film, or even if it's like at Florida state, just being on the sideline and being there for the guys and just knowing that I'm there. And, you know, when they see you, they play a little harder for you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think one of the best things for me to do right now is just be around, just let the guys know that I'm still around, you know, I'm doing all right. And I'm excited to watch them play. 
how impressed have you been with with Drake Thomas this year? I mean, I well, I knew he was going to be good, but I I think he has really you know flourished. You know, what have you seen from him that that has really impressed you? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm shocked or I mean, I'm definitely impressed, you know, with how he's playing. He's playing like a man with his hair on fire. But, you know, I wouldn't say I'm shocked. You know, Drake has always been a great player in the way that he works. You know, it's finally just showing off. And with me and Isaiah, he's he's able to show that a little more and really take over the defense, you know, and it's kind of built around him now. You know, he has to make a lot of plays and a lot falls on his shoulders. But, you know, I think he's willing to take that and, you know, go at it with a full head of steam. How's Isaiah doing with, you know, he, he, a few weeks later, he joins you with that and you're like, welcome, you know, were, were you kind of able to be like, you know, just help him mentally. And, and obviously it didn't help you to have him there because you want him to play, but it's kind of like, Hey buddy, how you doing? Yeah. You know, it was definitely devastating once again to have somebody else like him out for the season, but, you know, being in there together, you know, it not only helps him, but it definitely helps me, you know, being able to push each other because some days, you know, when it's month four and you go into the training room and you haven't played football in who knows how long, you know, sometimes it's hard, but when you have someone like Isaiah or Isaiah has someone like me, they can keep pushing them and just continue to remind like each other what we're working for. You know, I think that it, I mean, it sucks that we're both in there, but it's very helpful that we're both in there. So what are you guys working for? What's the, what's the goal? What's the end game? You know, I think right now, since we're so early, it's just get healthy, come back better than ever, you know, keep your head down, you know, work as hard as you can work while, you know, being responsible, taking care of my shoulder, his knee, you know, and I think the only goal in mind right now is just to get healthy. And that's all that's on any of our minds that are in that injured group. Mm -hmm. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you wanted to, you could declare for the NFL draft, correct? Yeah, correct. And could Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah could as well. So, you know, is is that something you're considering? I mean, that's, I mean, I haven't really made a full decision. You know, there's a lot to talk about with like my injury history and stuff, you know, what would be smart. But, you know, I'm still talking with my family about it and I'm kind of just, you know, keeping it. I wouldn't say keeping it on the download, but I don't want it to be a topic right now because we as a team have a lot bigger mission than. And a lot more to think about than anyone declaring right now. You know, we got a championship to win. So I think that's kind of where everyone's mind is. Right. Yeah. It and and I and I and I definitely understand wanting to keep the focus there. I, I am curious though at, at like what your thought process is through that. Is it kind of like, okay, you know, my shoulders, who knows how long they're going to last. I want to, you know, make sure I have an opportunity to play in the NFL because you have that talent. Or do you think maybe I come back to school and and it'll be good for me to get another year under my belt? I mean, it's like, where's your head at? Yeah, I mean, all of that comes into play. There's so many pros and cons with declaring, you know, last year I had the option to as well. And, you know, I thought about that a lot, but you know, right now it's kind of just like, you know, I have these shoulder injuries and if I came back, I know what I would be able to do and raise my draft stock, you know, but if I came back, you know, and I got injured again, who knows what would happen. I might not get that chance. So there's just so much to think about and, you know, but you can't really, I can't really play the game, you know, thinking about when my next injury is, you know, I could mm-hmm. maybe play 15 more years and not even get another scratch, you know? Right. But who knows? I mean, it's just so much to think about and, Right now, I just really haven't thought about it that much just due to the fact of where we are in the season. Taking it step by step for sure. 
Yeah, basically. I mean, what what do you think is going to happen the rest of the year? You know, as a as a uh, not a casual observer, but a you know someone deep in this program, what do you, what's realistic for you know what the Wolfpack's going to do? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't want to think too far ahead, but if we play how we're supposed to, and you know, we don't beat ourselves, I don't think that anyone can beat us leading up to Charlotte, you know, and we, and if we had the chance to go to Charlotte, just, you know, handle business. I don't think that anyone in the ACC is, you know, as good or better than we are and we can compete with anyone. And I think if they just, the guys just keep their head on right and they stay, you know, where they're at and they don't start looking ahead, you know, just take it game by game. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that they could win out and, you know, make it to the ACC championship. So with your schedule, obviously being, uh, much different than what it would be playing. Do you have the opportunity to go home and, and are you mostly on campus? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have the opportunity to go home. I'm mostly on campus just because I have to rehab so early in the morning. I only live about 45 minutes away, but at the beginning of my injury, when I had to fly down to Florida and fly back, I mean, I was with my family for two weeks and, you know, that was a big blessing being able to be around my family. I stayed at home for about two weeks just because, you know, after surgery is not very fun. So, right. So mom yeah. was, mom was like making chicken noodle soup and taking care of you. Yeah. And, and like on a Thursday night, if my parents want to come eat, you know, I'm not at film all night because I'm game planning for a team. I could go out to eat with them somewhere in Durham or something, you know, that's nice. So so you are- yeah. It's definitely nice having that accessibility to my parents. You know, they're right here. And, you know, at nighttime when I get done with school and football, I don't really have much going on. So definitely able to be around the family a lot more. I always wonder too, when that kind of time opens up, have you found any other hobbies or things that you've liked doing, you know, or, or anything besides football? Yeah, I think, well, I really think that school started to take up a lot of my time just because with football, you know, I kind of, I wasn't pushing school to the side, but I was definitely more focused on football. And now that I don't have football, you know, I'm able to really, sit down and do my schoolwork and study for tests and do all of that stuff. So I think that a lot of that time is really being taken up by school Mm -hmm. that I don't have, you know, I just use it to, you know, either relax or sometimes I'll go back to the Murph and get in a little extra work. But I mean, usually around five 30 every day I get done. So by the time that I cook dinner and shower, it's already about nine o'clock. So. So what are the classes that, that you're taking that are like really intriguing you this semester? Uh, I'm in a peace and war and nuclear age in the, yeah, peace and war in the nuclear age. Oh, where are the, come back. What? Yeah. So I'm in a uh, peace and war in the nuclear age class and that's pretty interesting, you know, I don't know. Since I've gotten to college, I've just been all about football. You know, I've never really had the time to just think about class and be interested in class. So, you know, it's kind of new to me, this whole just being a student thing. You know, I was always so obsessed with football and, you know, learning football and watching film and getting better at football that I would just, you know, get school to get school done, you know, just to get it done with and get it out of the way. But, you know, now it's I'm just able to take time and really focus on school and, you know, actually like learn and take the time to understand what I'm reading about. So you said peace, war, and what, and nuclear options? Nah, peace and war in the nuclear age. 
It's interesting. So, yeah, it's just really about terrorism and uh, like how to avoid terrorist attacks and how to plan for them and, you know, just aftermaths and stuff like that. Is that is that something like you just took because it sounded yeah. interesting or is that like, oh, I could see a career in counterterrorism or something like that? <laughs> No, nah, I definitely just, I, it was one of my free electives that I could have took. I'm an education major. Okay. When I get done with football, I want to do something with special education, but I just took uh, the peace and war in the nuclear age um, as a free elective. I was a, you would be a terrifying counterterrorism agent though. To see you busting <laughs> through a door, man. I'd be like, I give up. I'm out. Right. In, <laughs> in a nice suit. <laughs> yeah. And not look at all, look at all James Bond like and with that. Right. Yeah. So that's so special education. That's that's pretty cool, man. Anything like specific with that or? No, I'm not really sure. I just know when I was coming into college, I didn't really know what I want to do. And I kind of fell in love with special education in high school. My wrestling coach was uh, the head of our special education program in my high school. So just going into class and helping him out with programs and events. I really just kind of fell in love with, you know, people with special needs, students with special needs and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I first came to college. And, you know, I talked to my parents and my family and I was like, if football doesn't work out, you know, I would love to do something with special education, whether that's run an organization, a program, even being a special education teacher. I really don't know what path I would take, but I definitely know I want to do something along that lines. Well, and, you know, I remember having a conversation with your high school coach uh, before the season began, and he kind of told me about like a special relationship that you formed with. Uh, one of the special needs students at your school. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, just in high school, you know, the the special education classrooms are kind of split. Like they don't like the classes that some of the kids are really bad. Like they can't really do much on their own. They don't have a lot of kids in it. And one of the classes only had three kids in it. And I really got close with all of them because I was the class that my head wrestling coach was in. Like he ran that class. You know, I got really close with him. You know, we had the same lunch time and stuff. You know, it's just awesome. You know, when, once you get around those people and you really start to just see them for who they are, you know, they kind of put a smile on your face. You're not really going in there to put a smile on their face anymore. You know, during lunch, I would go in there just to, you know, take the stress off because I've been in class all day. I've been dealing with high schoolers all day. You know how it goes. Right. Just go in there and just hang out with some of those kids for a little bit and just take the stress off and, you know, they're making your day better. You're making their day better. That's awesome. What's the, was there like a specific kid though? I, I, I feel like he mentioned one guy who you guys had a really close friendship or something, but maybe I'm remembering that incorrectly. I don't know if there's one kid you can remember. No, nah, not really. I remember the one, two of the kids names in the class. One of them was Chase and one of them was Brian. Okay. I was really close with Brian. But. Okay. I I mean I I think that's I think it's pretty admirable. Um I've done a little work with special needs kids myself and I agree it's uh you know you go in there thinking oh you know you need to be like the savior and then you're like uh you know they teach you so much about yourself and and life and it's, yeah. it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's like a lot of stuff for granted, you know. So I've noticed that uh and I think most of your teammates are pretty good about this. Like you guys stay off social media, maybe like, you know, Tanner sometimes will go in and say a couple of things, you know, but yeah. do you make it a point to stay off social media or are you just not really that interested in, in, you know, letting the world know your, your thoughts? Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm low key with it. You know, like, I don't really, I don't know. I just don't really feel like taking the time out of my day to, 
you know, worry about what people have to say if I post them on Twitter or some, somebody's replying under something. So I kind of just stay off of them. You know, I had my share of social media in high school and the beginning of the college, but you know, I don't, I don't, I kind of make it a point to stay off my phone throughout the day. You know, mm-hmm. people try to call me all the time and I'm, I'm not good for phone calls. I usually mm-hmm. don't answer, but you know, I don't think that it's good to be on social media all the time. Cause you know, I don't really care what other people think. And, you know, when you're, especially when it comes to ball, you know, a lot of the fans think that they know football, but what they're saying, they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. I just said, I don't even need to look at it. I don't even need to see any of it. So I just kind of let it go. I mean, I still have all the social media apps, but they don't get opened every day, maybe a few times a week. Do you, I, do you see that affect your teammates though? I, I know after Clemson, Chris Dunn got a lot of it. Uh, after yeah. Miami, Devin Carter, you know, cause he had a couple drop passes or whatever. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but you know, I'm on Twitter and I'll, you know, I'll write a story and I'll get two negative comments. They'll be like, you suck at writing. And I'll be like, yeah, it's no big deal. And then, Oh God, <laughs> you know, like it'll, yeah. it, it, the stuff hurts, you know, we, I mean, we yeah, stuff doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me, but you know, in the back of your head, you know, your phone's right in your pocket all day in the back of your head. You're like, yeah, this is what people think of me. You know, I think it's just human nature to care what people think. And I think that's one reason why I just stay off of them. Because, you know, I would, like if someone, if I had a bad game and someone was under my page, you know, telling me I sucked, you know, I would definitely try to act like I don't care. But, you know, you see those comments and it definitely adds on top of what you're going through. I mean, like, for example, like you said, Chris Dunn, you know, after that game, he know he was more devastated than anyone. I always think it's so interesting that it's like... <laughs> You know, I covered high school football for a really long time and they would, you know, they'd be like, don't ever say anything mean about these kids. They're trying their best. And then one year goes by and you're in college and they're like, I hope he dies. And you're like, oh, my God, the switch is so abrupt with fans. And it's just like it's it's gross is what it is. Yeah, I got a glimpse of that early, too, with just decommitting from UNC. You know, that's when I really, like, realized how college is and how college fans are on social media. Right. So I learned really early to just kind of stay away from it. Right. That, that's, such, that's, that's right. You totally have that perspective of, like, all of a sudden, angry adults in your DMs. And you're like, what the hell, man? This is my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely – it's weird. You know, at the time, I was 16 years old, probably. Mm-hmm. 16 years old and it's just like I just think of those people as weirdos like you're a 45 year old man right yelling at a 16 year old kid that's making a decision about his life you know right or like like just like when people get mad like for example you were talking about DC when people got mad at him for dropping a few balls it's like you know the people on the Twitter pages they didn't really get D1 scholarships because they couldn't do it either so it's not really like they have any any right to speak how they're speaking because they couldn't go out there and do it. So. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the way I always look at it too, I was like the people who are yelling at me, they're probably pretty unhappy with their own lives. So it's a, it's yeah, a, they, they got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's petty, but it's a small victory. I'm like, eh, well, they probably suck a little bit, but all right. So uh, before I let you go, I want to just do a couple like kind of fun, you know, non-football questions because I okay. like to do that. So I'm curious, do you have like a favorite sports moment, but like as a fan, just as like, I'll never forget that game or that experience or that moment? Yeah, I do actually. So when Duke played Texas A&M in Atlanta in the Georgia Dome, 
uh-huh. when Johnny Manziel was down there. My, me and my family actually like grew up. I grew up going to Duke games. Like we had season tickets there and stuff, just because my dad was a Duke fan. And we went down. I don't know. I think it was it was uh, what 2013 when they played. It yeah, it was some, something like that. 2012, 2013, something like that. Yeah, and just you know they were. Texas A&M was down by 21. You know, we were there rooting on Duke. You know, I was still a middle school Duke fan. And, you know, t- Johnny Manziel ended up bringing them back from a 21-point deficit, jumping over people, you know, just doing Johnny Manziel things. And to see that in person, I was really like, this is college football. This is what it's about, you know. Mm. Like, I want to be that guy someday. No doubt. I mean, of course you had to pick my least favorite college football team of all time. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm a Texas yeah. Longhorn fan, but that's fine. But Johnny Manziel was definitely, uh, yeah. yeah, he was something. Growing up, I mean, growing up watching him was a little, a little different. You know, it was crazy. Yeah, he really was, and then didn't really work out super well for him. But he, uh, as far as struggling. yeah, I mean, it's funny that my favorite, my favorite sports moment as a fan was watching Vince Young in that Rose Bowl yeah. game against USC, where yeah. it's just like this is another level of of sports yeah. right here. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so I asked this question to, to Porter and it's funny because I asked it's the desert Island movie question, which is if you're on a desert, you're stuck in a desert Island and you can watch only five movies, which five movies you're going to take. And then of course he gave me like all sequel. He's like, well, I like Spider-Man movies. I was like, well, which well, there's like 12 Spider-Man movies. And then he's like, I like King Kong. And I was like, well, which King Kong movie, man. So I, I'm going to preface that, but so five movies and you got to think about it. It's not just like your favorite movies. It's movies you want to watch over and over again. Like that you don't, they, you know, they never get old. Yeah. So I think I'm going with Shrek as one of them. Shrek? Yeah. Facts. Shrek. Okay. Okay. Didn't see that one coming. Shrek. Okay. Forrest Forrest Gump. Classic. Friday. Mm Mm-hmm. Friday after next. Oh, wow. Okay. Both Fridays. Okay. Yeah. Friday and Friday after next. And then my fifth one is probably going to be Marvel's Avengers Infinity War. The one before the end game. You know, I agree with you. I think that one was better. That one was, and because yeah. they, they lost too, or you were like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I'm a huge Marvel guy, but those are probably the five movies right there. So I want to ask a Marvel follow-up, but I have a quick Forrest Gump joke for you that you can steal. Okay. All right. What generation is Forrest Gump a part of? No, I have no idea. Gen A. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad. It's bad, but you can steal that. It's a good for I only thought of it because you said Forrest Gump, but I heard that joke the other day. Um, So if you have to pick a... Avengers character like if you're that guy who who are you gonna be Thor Thor yeah why, definitely why Thor um is it Thor or Chris Hemsworth Thor okay yeah I uh probably just because I think he's the strongest I think he's the most powerful the rest of them are just you know from earth and you know he is a god <laughs> yeah but I've always liked him I think that he's definitely the strongest best avenger that's true i i actually isn't captain marvel the strongest yeah she is she actually is but she kind of came out of she sort of came out of left field yeah she came out of left field she was an end game a little bit but yeah definitely though i don't like fat thor though 
Oh, really? I love Fat Thor. He's like, hey, I we like got the Wi-Fi Thor. connection. My favorite, my favorite Thor is Thor Ragnarok with the short hair. Right. So funny enough, so I was just in New York covering the Duke basketball game opener, and yeah. we left Madison Square Garden at like 2 a.m., and they locked all the doors. And I'm walking around, and I was like, this is the scene from Thor Ragnarok where it's like, oh, it's like one of those freaky circles that never ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, the, I was like, this feels like that moment. Um, all right. So, lastly, just on this pop culture kick, you know, any TV shows that you're watching right now that you're you're really into? I think the last TV show that I like binge watched. Let me think. This goes way back to like because I haven't really been watching shows throughout the season. My parents told me about Yellowstone. I heard mm-hmm. that that's really good, but I think the last show I binge watched was Manifest. Man. You know what that is? Yeah, it's like the people they go on that plane and they come back like five years later, but oh. they think that like they think that they were only gone for the time that they were on the plane, like the actual flight, but they'd really been gone for five years, and then uh, they like I, get these callings and stuff. Interesting. Well, that's wild. Okay, I I think I remember kind of seeing that promo, but I haven't hadn't watched it. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, well, Peyton. Uh, you know, thank you so much for your time, man, and and good luck with the recovery, and and uh, you know, just keep us posted with everything. I know everyone's rooting for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the call. And now it's time for our conversation with Winston Salem Journal reporter and Wake Forest beat writer Ethan Joyce. All right, I'm here with Ethan Joyce of the Winston Salem Journal. Ethan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on here. Chat a little football. Sure. Yeah. You've this is our second ever podcast with the the Believe in NC State podcast. And you're the first journalist. So awesome. You know, you should just know where I think of you on the the hierarchy. So, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah, the schedule has nothing to do with it. I appreciate it. No, nothing. <laughs> no, no. This just I already had you planned in. I didn't even know what the schedule was, you know, All right, I get six you. months I ago. I get you. Um, so before we get into the obvious topic of NC State. Wake Forest football game coming up on Saturday. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your project that you released, I think in September, uh, uh, the project on the Hispanic Latino coaches in Division One football and sort of the disparity in numbers. Uh, one of the best pieces of journalism I've read since the football season began. And I really just, as a fellow journalist, would love to hear your thought process what you found from that story and just sort of the, the impact you think it's had and, and also um, the amount of coaches that you've had coming out of the woodwork could talk to you about that. Just kind of lay it on me. Yeah, man, it, it was, it's really been a blessing of a story to, story to do because I just never had an idea of what it would become in the beginning and kind of the reaction that I would get out of it. So I've been covering Appalachian state since I've been at the journal. So that's, since 2017. And when I got here, App State had a guy who was the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator named Frank Ponce. And one day we were just talking about him growing up in Miami. He, he's, he's born in Nicaragua and moved to Miami when he was two years old. And it just kind of got me thinking about how I hadn't seen a lot of guys like Frank Ponce, a lot of Hispanic or, or, or Latino coaches in college football. And then he went with Scott Satterfield to Louisville, and I thought I'd really whiffed on, on a big opportunity to tell a cool story. 
And so when he came back to act this year as the offensive coordinator, one of the first things I said to him was, I'd really like to maybe consider that angle with you. And it started off as maybe trying to do a profile on Frank. And then it, it expanded to me reaching out to all the division one football uh, programs. So that was FBS and FCS just asking like, Hey, I really want to profile this community. I know it's probably a small number, but if you can give me the names of guys on your staff that identify as Hispanic or Latino, like I would, I'd appreciate it. Um, and so I ended up with a list of 36 guys and that's, that's roughly out of 3000 jobs with the head coach and their 10 assistants on staff. And I ended up talking to a good chunk of those guys and so I got to write this, I got to write this profile of really their journey um, and kind of the, the difference that you see when a guy is a first generation football fan versus a second generation football fan. And, you know, I talked to Mario Cristobal and, and his part to play and hiring guys like Frank Ponce as a high school coach at FIU. And when Mario Cristobal was getting his first head coaching shot, it I got so much feedback from guys that like around my age, guys that are still in, in grad assistant roles, off field roles that I think maybe didn't realize what the network looked like. And Mm. it was, it was beneficial because I didn't really know what the network looked like either. And I mean, it turns out it's really small, but I, I hope in some way it at least connected some guys to other guys that they didn't really know about in, in the profession and, I mean, I got so much feedback from those younger guys that like, it's still, it makes me a little emotional um, because they were, I don't know. It's just, I, you just get lucky in this job sometimes. And sometimes you just don't know that a story is going to be so gratifying. And that one was super gratifying. It took a lot of time to do all that research and, and, and try to reach out to all these SIDs and, you know, it, it came together and, and it's, it's easily the best thing, most meaningful thing that I've written in my career. And I don't, I don't know if I'm going to hit that mark for a while. So I'm, I'm very fulfilled by that. I know that feeling when, when you're like, Oh, did I just peak uh, in my journalism career right here? But, yeah. Right. But it's really, it's one of those stories where you read it and you're like, why has this not been talked about? And then I'm sure as the person who wrote it, you realize the impact that it had, you know, you see the impact that it has and you realize you know, this was a story that needed to be write, written. And we write so many stories, you know, you can go back and ha- we all have thousands of bylines, but you have those handful of stories that you're like, this really made a difference. And this really like, you know, broached something that was important. So I just think it, I just think it's super cool, man. And I, I look forward to your acceptance speech at whatever awards, you know, that you get, <laughs> you get from all of that. But um, anyone who's listening um, you go to the, uh, Winston, Winston Salem Herald website, or you can go to, uh, Ethan's Twitter page at by Ethan Joyce. It's pinned at the top recommend it. It's a really great read. Um, so yeah, well done on that, man, for sure. I appreciate and, that. I and, appreciate and, that. And thanks for, thanks for sharing that, that, uh, that story with all of us. So the real reason why people are, you know, the, the six people listening to this podcast are here, you know, they want to hear about this, uh, Wake Forest NC state football game. So I guess first, before we, we do that, tell us a little bit about what happened this past week uh, against UNC. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a weird game because it, it, 
it impacts so much as far as Wake Forest obviously eliminated from the college football playoff, you know, that that kind of thing. But the ACC makes real no not a huge impact, not not any impact as as far as the standing goes. So where is Wake Forest after this game? Yeah, you know, I think Miles Fox, who's a lineman on the team, he kind of said it best. He was he was saying this is really going to test our character with how we respond this week. Um, because again, they haven't lost this season. This is the first time. And I, I, this team has been really proud of the way that they've moved on from games and wins are easier to move on from. And I think the the eeriness of this game, comparing it to the 2020 game where Wake again had a really big lead and they, they saw it go away by the end of the game. Um, I think that was kind of lingering on everybody's mind too. You know, the, the thing is with, with Wake's, with Wake's situation is their offense is so good, so good. And it's so fast. And that defense is on the field a long time. And so, you know, they saw a couple guys go down in that game. And when you're talking about a defense that sees a lot of reps and sees a lot of field time, those, those impacts get a little bit bigger. And I think that's what you saw. You saw a Carolina team really start pouncing on a secondary that was down a few guys. And it was pretty clear near the end of the third quarter that Carolina's rhythm was, was really starting to click in. Ty Chandler is a bad dude. Hmm. That was, I mean, like I, I, I read as much as I can during the season to watch, like to, to kind of pay attention to ACC play, but Ty Chandler is, is, so good and just like I, I love guys like that in a running back position but he he just capitalized that that offense capitalized on a on a run defense that has been exposed before and they were able to move the ball a little easier too because the secondary was missing a few guys mm. yeah and and ty chandler's too is like one of those guys who you know really heats up yeah. You know, by the fourth quarter, everyone's tired. And he's like, ah, I'm just getting started. And yeah, it's really what it seems like, especially in that game. It's like after a while, it's like it, this guy is hard to tackle. Yeah. And and I think that's what makes this matchup so interesting. It's this Wake Forest offense that scores points in bunches against a NC State defense that really doesn't give up points. And then you then you have a Wake Forest defense that struggles against the run and an NC State offense that doesn't run the ball particularly well, that has kind of decided, listen, you know, we're going to pass for four yards on first down instead of run for, for four yards. So I, to me, I mean, I'm really excited, you know, obviously because of the, the implications for an ACC title game, but I mean, how do you see these teams matching up? Cause I really just see such opposite styles of play coming into this. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think one of the really neat things, at least about the Wake Forest offense, and I think that's probably the easiest thing to talk about because they do put up these eye popping numbers um, it's such a reactive offense. And when I say that, you know, I think people in the ACC are pretty accustomed to this slow mesh style that they run. But like, just when you have this many guys, a Sam Hartman that's been playing in this offense for a while, a bunch of older receivers, you know, a running back group that really fits together. Well, you've got a lot of guys that have so many reps in this offense. And so it knows how to react most of the time. I think what you saw on, on Saturday was when the defense is kind of get taking some hits, the offense has to deal with that pressure of that. 
And if things aren't clicking, it really creates those scoring opportunities again. And I mean, again, UNC is a perfect example where very talented team that didn't live up to their preseason hype, but they have the talent to capitalize, especially when you're, you're playing some guys that maybe don't get as many reps to, to react. Um, and so, I mean, I'm really interested to see how they, how they handle this because one of the things I've seemed to have noticed is how physical this NC state team has stayed, especially with the fact that they've had some injuries where it looked like it could be really damaging to, to what they wanted to do this season. Um, I don't know. What do you think's kind of gone into how they've, how they've been able to respond from those and maybe stay on this path that they've been on? Well, you know, the thing that they always say, and it's probably my like least favorite term in football, you know, the, the football vernacular that you hear in every press conference, well, it's the next man up. You know, because it's so reductive towards like the person who's hurt and, uh, you know, all the hope, every player, we know the hopes and dreams they come into playing. And then you're like, oh, goodbye, next guy up, you know, but that's, that is really what this is. And I think particularly for the linebackers, right? Um, Peyton Wilson, Isaiah Moore, two captains, two all ACC guys, they go out and you're like, well, they're in trouble, you know, but then you've got guys like uh, Drake Thomas, Devon Betty, uh, Vi Jones, coming in playing just as well. And you're like, they really have not missed a beat. And I, I think that's such a huge thing that you wouldn't expect. And, and yeah, I mean, Dave Dorn has said a few times now, he's like, if you could, if, if you would have gone in at the beginning of the season and picked like our four most vocal leaders, it would have been CJ Clark out, uh, Peyton Wilson out, Isaiah Moore out and Cyrus Fagan out. And it's like, you know, so that they've not only been able to, you know, physically, but also, you know, from a leadership standpoint, because we've, you know, we talk about these guys like the professionals, but they are 18 to 21 year old guys. And so there's just a lot of emotions, a lot of ups and downs, you know, every day, every week, and that they've just stayed so steady. I really think speaks to this success that Dave Dorn has had in this program of the kind of, you know, it's the blue collar mentality. They really have you know, stepped into that of like, no matter what happens, we're going to get our lunch pail and our cowboy boots and we're going to do our thing. And um, it, at least defensively, they've really just bought into that. And I think you've seen that success and yeah, they play so physically. you got guys like Tanner Engel who comes in and, and literally the, it was kind of funny in this past game, it was um, uh, Tanner Engel winning on, on a hit and missed and hit Drake Thomas, who is probably the second hardest hitter in the game. And you could tell like for 10 seconds, Drake Thomas did not know where he was, you know, and he was, he was, you could, it was kind of funny. We asked, um, we asked Tanner about it afterwards and he was like, Oh, I felt so bad, but yeah, he was kind of pissed at me afterwards, but it's just like, they, you know, they're just, they're playing so hard. They're even hitting it themselves hard kind of thing. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, it's still one of, it's one of these games I look at, like, I really am not sure what to expect because I don't know if NC state can keep up with wake forest scoring. I, I don't think they have that kind of offense, but I really am not sure how wake forest is going to move the ball against NC state. If they're not able to run the ball, like they normally do. And I am kind of curious just the way you look at wake forest run game, because I, I feel like with Hartman and some of the zone reads that they do, they really like confuse defenses, you know, it, is, is, is that something you think they'll continue to have success with, or do you think they'll struggle a little bit against NC state? 
Yeah, that's a good point. I I think this is I mean, this is gonna be a really physical defense that they're gonna take on here. I think I think what really works for them is is one, they've got a running back group where, you know, we're talking about <laughs> talking about vernaculars that we hear all the time. They've got they've got three guys that they really trust. And you actually see that. And I think one of the things that they do best and a lot of teams struggle with is being able to have rhythm no matter who that guy is. Um, you know, Christian Beal Smith is, is that starter. He's that big veteran presence. They've got a, a younger guy in Justice Ellison, who I think is going to be pretty good at Wake Forest. Um, and you really do see the flashes of him. And he's just strong. He's a really good blocking guy. Um, and then to add into that is Christian Turner, who's a transfer that they brought in from Michigan. He's one of two transfers they brought in from Michigan. And they really do a good job of kind of staying on pace with the offense. Like you don't, you don't see a lot of lag when one subs in in, in front of the other. So that freshness, I think really helps in keeping the run game efficient, but it kind of keeps everybody honest with, with the passing game too. Sam, it's, I mean, I've honestly been surprised by Sam kind of taking the reins and, and taking off when he does, because you know, obviously if you've got a guy who could be a dual threat, it completely changes the way a defense has to play you. And Sam has really gotten open for a few longer touchdown runs at this point. Um, and I think that's just kind of a, a, a it's kind of a, a, a bigger point about the growth that he's made, the way that he has just kind of gotten so comfortable in this offense now. I don't, you know, the Carolina game where he threw a couple of interceptions, it's really the first time I've seen him and thought, I'm really kind of surprised at the mistakes that he's making because right. he just doesn't do that a lot. You know, right. I think there's one thing to take a shot and, you know, like if, if you've got a lead you're or if, if, if you kind of like what you saw, it's worth taking a shot. Sometimes a guy just picks you off. Right. Um, but Saturday featured a lot of situations where it just seemed like Sam wasn't comfortable. Um, and then when you're asking your offense, like, Hey, they scored, we need you to keep scoring. That doesn't add to the comfort level. You know, I, I think that's the big thing for them is they have to come into this game, find their rhythm again, feel comfortable again. They've got to do it against probably the toughest defense they've faced in a while. So is it the is it like the run game sets up the pass or vice versa? I think the pass game sets up the run more okay. so for them because I think they do like to lean on the run early in the game, but I really do think that it's kind of that, that accordion where you get the, you get the defense stretched out and then you crunch everything back in. Okay. Um, I think that's really where they thrive the, the most. Cause I'm trying to think in, in my memory, if there's been a ton of long touchdown runs and I can't say they there has, um, I think most of the time you see their firepower, their really big explosive plays come from, you know, guys like AT Perry or Corey Roberson um, A.T. Perry has been just such a big guy for this offense. He's been unreal. Um, and he was relatively quiet on, on, uh, on, I guess the tail end of Saturday. Cause he, I mean, he did score, but, um, you know, the whole offense kind of got a little quieter as the day went on. Right. Right. I mean, either way, I, I think, you know, looking just at both these programs. I think it's been since 1992, since they played each other when they're both ranked. And yeah. I, th I think this is one of those like scenarios. If, 
if you say at the beginning of the year, you know, week 10, or are we week 10? Is it week 11? I can never keep track. I'm always behind week 10 late. We'll just say late into the season, Wake Forest and NC state are going to be playing, you know, I don't want to say maybe a de facto, you know, ACC Atlantic divisional title game. I know, you know, NC state still, even if, if they do win, so to take care of business, you know, I still have to beat UNC at home, which is, that's another, it's like beating Clemson. It's for them. I think that's going to be like such an emotional thing to try to do. You know, they have such this, you know, little brother, big brother complex. Um, And I'll probably get hate mail just for saying that. I'm not going to say which, if they're the big brother or the little brother, but it, it does speak to the uh, strangeness of this year. I think that, that we're in the, this position or, or maybe not. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think this is always such a, this is a fun game to cover. I've got the cover. Yeah. This will be a first for me. Yeah. This, I mean like these two programs really have gone back and forth. If you, if you were to pull up Winspedia and kind of look at the color breakdown of it, like each team's gone on some runs. I want to say that wake won three straight times before NC state won last year, but um, they've really traded back and forth. I mean, it's like dead even. Mm-hmm. Um, this is always a really good game. I know that I, I feel like it's been a good while since NC State's kind of won one in Winston Salem. Um, they haven't they haven't had a ton of success there, so like that's that's going to play into this too. But I think these two teams have always played really well against each other. And and like I know NC State and North Carolina. That makes, I mean, it makes sense to be the season finale. It's a bit, but like, I think, I think these two teams there, this has really kind of been the measuring stick for, for these two teams when they play each other. Um, and they've been in some really good games. They've been in some tight games, you know, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see how that, how that plays out here in Winston. I'm curious, Sam, Sam Hartman obviously has a lot of stats. Um, you know, Devin Leary, has a good amount of stats too. And I just, I'm, I don't want to say I'm surprised by his production, but I think it's been really, it's been interesting to see him grow. Right. And I wonder, I wonder what you think has been the big difference for, for him to kind of make this possible. Well, yeah, his, his stats are like really understated too. You look at him, you're like, Oh, he's playing. Okay. And then you're like, yeah, well, he threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. What, what happened here? And, and, you know, I'll say this, I, I really try not to like hang on stats, but I was yeah. really upset that Dorn decided to, you know, throw the bomb at the end of the first half and kind of, you know, destroy his, you know, six games without an interception thing. Yeah. And of course I had just tweeted like, Oh, he's about to go 27 quarters without, you know, he messed up my tweet is probably why I was most upset, but it you was one that. of I, you did I, that. Yeah, you're right. Well, no, 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 no. I did not call that play because you know what? Oh, okay. It was an interception right. almost, you know, he returned it back to like the 50. There was a moment where you're like, oh God, this is about to be a disaster. Yeah. And I know that stats don't matter, but for Devin Leary, that was the one thing that had kind of started to give him national recognition. It's like, this kid's not making mistakes. And people don't usually go back and look at how the mistakes are made. They just say, oh, an interception. So that's over with. So as far as giving him sort of like national acclaim, I think that hurts him, but they don't really care about that. And actually today uh, during Dave Dorn's press conference, you know, he was asked about that question about just, you know, what, what has made him so, what, what has made Devin Leary so good. Um, And he's like, you know, the thing about him is, you know, he doesn't care. His favorite target is who's open. Right. And I think what has made him so good is that 
there are so many targets open. You know, you've got your guys like Emeka Mezzi and Thayer Thomas and even Devin Carter, you know, and, and even last game, you know, those guys combined for like three catches and 20 yards. It's these, they've got all these new guys, you know, all these, you know, CJ Riley, uh, Porter Rooks, um, Trent Penix, Chris Tootle, who are playing sort of that H back tight end position. And I think that's actually been a really huge thing because I, I think linebackers are are too slow to cover them and cornerbacks are too small. So having Chris Tootle and Trent Penix has become this really like interesting target for them. But uh, the biggest thing I think, and is really the maturity. And I know that's such like a cliche thing to say, but I had a, you know, one-on-one interview with him before the Clemson game. And I'm like, okay, you know, and this was kind of like an off air thing. I was like, so how are you really feeling, man? This is kind of a big deal. He's like, you know, I feel good. I'm chill. I'm relaxed. And I, and, and that's such a big thing is he is so even keel. And, and you see that during the games, like, you know, first half, nothing special, you know, he's like eight for 16, you know, 80 yards. He's not really doing much. And then the fourth quarter comes along and, you know, because he's not panicking, he's got all the guys on the same page. You look up three touchdowns later, you're like, Whoa, this guy had a great game. Oh my God. And it really is. I think it's that maturity, that, that growth and just kind of not letting the moment get to him. And, And this will be huge because he's, you know, the only time I've really, I think I've seen him rattled by a crowd was against Mississippi state. Um, in that second game. And I imagine that the crowd is, it, it's going to be a hostile environment and I will be interested to kind of see how NC state travels. And I'm, I was going to ask you kind of what the crowd's like, I've never experienced it, but I imagine they'll be as you know crazy as possible. This is as big a game as you could probably have at home. So. Yeah. You know, their, their home environment, I think has gotten, better over the last few seasons. I, I mean, this one's obviously been a good one. They, you know, they had a, they had a sellout, um, that last home game, I'm, I'm blanking. I guess it would have been the Duke game. Um, the, the student participation has been really high. You know, Dave Clawson has mentioned kind of a stat where he, he essentially takes the fan number and compares it to that undergrad enrollment number. And it's, I mean, it was something like 85, 90% of the student body was at that game. Oh, wow. Um, You know, so like one, that's kind of hitting on the fact that it's a smaller student body, but still like, you know, it's an interesting point to make that, hey, 85 to 90% of of this student body was at the football game on on Saturday. You know, that's, that's wild. And I I think that signifies like how big of a deal this season has been so far. Um, because it has been pretty special. And I think there's, you know, there's been naysayers nationally about the type of team this is. And, you know, they definitely, I think like every team they have, a, they have their issues, but like, this has been a really good football team and a really special time around this university. I think the fan base has definitely realized that and has latched on really well. I'm kind of interested to see how this is, how this is going to feel in Winston-Salem just because, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know if they've had this big of a matchup in a while, you know, when like, kind of like what you were alluding to earlier, where you don't want to say that this is a de facto um, championship clincher for either team, but it's a big, it's, it establishes the route to it. it really I mean, it's does. more so for, for Wake Forest, really. It, yeah. You know, because that UNC loss doesn't count towards the, the league standings that really, that gives them two games with two yeah. remaining, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, they have NC State. They go to Clemson, um, which 
tough yeah, game. Going, going to Clemson and, and trying to win is going to be tough, and they haven't done that in a while, and then they close the season with Boston College. So a Boston College that, you know, just just got their start. Got their guy back. back. Yeah, right. you know. Totally and, different team now. Absolutely. Yeah, so, like, that's one of the first things I thought when I saw him coming back was, Crap. man, he's, he's going to be back and have a month of rhythm established by the time Wake Forest – gets to see Boston college. And that's going to be a completely different looking football team. Um, So it's not an easy, not an easy way to end the season for for them. I, you know, I, I like this matchup too on on Saturday because the programs, while uh, very different, feel very similar in the way that they, you know, it's the way, at least they feel they're treated, you know, like nationally disrespected, um, you know, little brother to other, other programs in the, in North Carolina, but it's kind of like, okay, you know, they say every dog has their day, like this is your day. So who's going to kind of step up. And I, I mean, that's what I get the sense from at least the NC state fan base from social media and all that is they're like, nobody believes in us. We can't do it. We don't. And it's any, but the thing is, is they also don't believe in themselves. They'll win a game. And the first thing they're like, Oh yeah, but we barely won. We played terrible and we're going to lose next week. And you're like, God damn, enjoy something, you know, but um, I don't, is it, is it similar with Wake Forest of like that? Do they feel, especially maybe even before this week, before this loss, they're like, we're undefeated. How are we not, you know, ranked in the, if we were Clemson, we'd be, you know, in the top four. Is it, is it, is there dis? do they feel like they're disrespected? I do think there is a little bit to that. And, and frankly, you know, like Dave Clawson used his radio show. Now he's talked about, that he's never going to pine for a higher ranking or do anything. And his belief of that is I don't think anything's gained from it. I don't think a coach ever looks good on the other side of that, you know, trying to say like, well, we should be this or that because it doesn't really do them any good inside of their facility. Anyways. Um, He did kind of take, take offense to I'm blanking on who would have said it on the first college football playoff reveal, but somebody talked about their defense being atrocious and Mm. he was kind of he used the point to say, look, I've made the decision as head football coach of this program that we're going to play offense this way. And because we play offense this way, it's going to affect the way our defense looks as far as like the yardage it gives up and, and things like that. Um, now the timing of giving up 50 plus points could not have been worse, <laughs> you know, right, for, right. for, for that point that ESPN tried to make. But I do think there, you know, there has been a little disregard to maybe what this team could do. And, and, you know, everybody brings up that it's the smallest P five and they bring up all that other stuff. And I think, the shame of that is if you look at Wake Forest outside of the 2020 year, which, you know, they got kind of rattled by the, the COVID component of it, both what they had to deal with internally and the cancellations that they had. I mean, it was just a frustrating season. They've been a consistent winning program, mm-hmm. um, especially these last few seasons with Dave Clawson. Like it's, it's established. Right. Um, so I think this is, this is that season where they really take that step forward and, you know, everybody's kind of pointed to the, the good to great phrase that Dave Clawson uses all the time. But I mean, really, if you look at their records, you could, I mean, there's a clear visual for what they're trying to do. You know, right. there's, they've got, they've had their eight win seasons. They've, you know, they've had seven win seasons, but like, can you get nine? Can you get 10? 
can you contend for an ACC championship? You're seeing that right now, but again, it's, it's really coming down to how they close out. And like I said before, it's not the easiest schedule to close out with. No, it's really not. And it's funny you mentioned that because Dave Dorn has now said and twice in the past two days, one right after they beat Florida state and today, uh, Monday, um, that, you know, he mentioned, he said, you know, we beat Clemson, we beat Florida state, which is something they haven't done. And, and his, his era, and I, I can't remember exactly what, but it's been many, many years since they've done that. And he's like, and you know, if you look at how much their programs spend on football compared to us, which I think, I don't know if he's asking for a raise subtly or unsubtly, but, uh, I think it's interesting that he's pointed that out and I'm sure, and Wake Forest can say the same thing. It's like, listen, we're not the, you know, we're not spending millions and millions, but we're, we're getting wins. So there, and there should be something to be said about that. And I don't know if that means that Dave Clawson and Dave Dorn are going to be working somewhere else in the next couple of years, but you know, it does always, it shows that, you know, money doesn't always equate to championships. And, and, you know, like they've had, um, you know, essentially $20 million pledged for a new football facility here, a new football locker room and stuff here at Wake Forest. And it couldn't have come at a better time, you know, like to, to get that investment along with this national spotlight that the program's had on it. Right. Um, you know, they're really going to take a step forward in their facilities and they've been doing that the last few years. Like it's, it's, I mean, their, their facilities are beautiful. Um, you know, like they, there's been a lot of money invested over the last couple of years, both, both football and basketball and, 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 this next step of like the new locker rooms and and everything they're going to build for, for the players. Um, It's kind of, it's kind of taking this mission forward that that good to great isn't just like, Hey, we're, we're winning on the field. It's, Hey, how are we trying to stay with the other programs in our conference? And, and that's part of that effort too. And so I'm, I'm sure when Dave's hitting on that, Dave Doran, the Daves, Daves, yeah. So, I mean, that it's the arm race is real and, you know, like is, is the college football arm race for facilities, the prettiest thing to watch? Not really, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it exists nonetheless. And these guys have, have, have contracts and they got to keep winning games. And that's a big part of this. Mm. All right. So before I let you go, Ethan, um, and I want to thank you so much for your time, man. It's been, it's been awesome. I picked right when I picked the, you know, my first journalist to come on. I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was going to yes. be right. Um, I, I, I want a prediction. I know it's, I know it's early. I know it's tough to do that, but you know, give me, give me a score. Give me a little reason why. I'm pretty terrible at doing scores. I, w- I will say, I think, I think wake at home is going to be tough to beat. Mm-hmm. I think wake coming off a loss where um, you have a little hurt feelings. That's going to add to this. Um, I think they realize how difficult this defensive assignment is going to be. I, I, I don't think they need a wake up call or anything like that. I do think it's like, uh, they've got this loss and it came into opportune time to lose. It's out of their system, move on and see if you can establish that rhythm again and kind of close the season out strong. I, I don't, I think it's, it's going to be so hard for Wake Forest to keep scoring over, I don't know if it's 35 points, what the, what the number is. It's going to be hard to do that against this defense. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard. Um, I do think Wake Forest can come around on the other side of this, though, with 
with a win and maybe being in the catbird seat of, of this division. Um, I haven't even seen a betting line for this game. I think it was, I think it's like two minus two. Okay. For, for way. I mean, it's so at home, that's, it's a coin. It's a coin. Flip. Yeah. Yeah. It's a coin. So I, I think, I think what it's really going to come down to is if NC state slows them early, that's a problem. Cause I think what, what you see is when the Wake Forest offense can take off hard, they're pretty hard to catch up with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you don't necessarily have the firepower capabilities like UNC does with like some of the athletes and, and, and a guy that might be a division or a first round pick. Um, so I think if NC State's defense sets that tone first, that's a problem. Right. And I agree with you. You know, I, I don't see NC State being a team that could catch up, you know, down 21 nothing. But I do think Wake Forest is the offense that could potentially catch up. But I don't know if they they could. It it's just it's I it's one of those games that I'm like, there's a lot of there's a lot of games and and not so much with NC State because I don't really think they're a team that blows people out. But I just I don't see really any potential for anything but like a pretty pretty close game. You know, I, yeah. I just don't. Yeah. I don't know. It, I, it is also one of those things too, where it's like, Oh, it's going to be so much, you know, every time you hear something like, Oh, there's going to be so much scoring in this game. Then it's like seven, nothing at halftime. You're like, what? So we'll <laughs> see. So, all right. I'll give you one more chance. Hold your feet to the fire. Can you give me a score? Or are you, are you holding out on me? I will say, um, I'm going to say 42, 35 Wake forest. And, um, just because, I haven't seen them lose that much this season. So I'm going to assume that they're not going to do it much more the rest of the season. So that's what I'll say. Bang. All right. Bang. I like it. <laughs> Dropping the gauntlet. Well, cool. Ethan, thanks again. Uh, anything, uh, give you a quick second, anything you want to pitch on the Winston-Salem journal things coming up that people should be looking out for. Um, man, I'm going to be holding on like crazy just to get through football and basketball crossover. But if you guys want to go check out my Hispanic and, and Latino coaches story, I'd more than love it. It's pinned on my Twitter. And that's at by Ethan Joyce on Twitter. Um, again, probably my favorite story ever. So if you want to read that, I'd love to see that story doing doing some numbers again in the, in the middle of November. Love it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, no worries, man. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.